Okay, my friends, we are so close to being finished. So let's get into social structure and demographics. Second to last chapter. So sociology is the study of society, how we create society, how we interact with and change society, and how we define what is normal and abnormal. Um, there has there's different levels. So there's micro, which is consisting of family groups and local communities. Meso is organizations, institutions, and ethnic subcultures. And macro is national and international systems. So because interactive interaction is so complex, sociologists have proposed many models called theoretical approaches to sociology to help analyze and explain aspects of human social behavior. And none of which is really best. They are each unique. Um, so one is symbolic interactionism. Um, it's an approach to sociology pioneered by influential sociologist George Herbert Mead. Um, there's three main assumptions about human behavior. So humans act towards symbols based on the meanings that these symbols carry, and the meanings that symbols carry come from social interaction, and humans interpret the meaning of symbols, and this interpretation influences action. So a symbol is any object, image, sound, or action that carries meaning to humans. Um, so there can be spoken words as symbols or even physical objects. Um, so according to this, humans are different from lower animals and that um, lower animals just respond to a stimuli while speak. humans have the capability to interpret the stimuli first, then react. Um, then we have social constructionism. So it's the attempt to understand a society through the study of the society's social constructs, and a social construct is any idea that has been created and accepted by the people in a society. Um, symbols are not the only type of social construct, so abstract ideas might be social constructs like race, gender. And it's useful for explaining micro and meso-level sociological phenomena like symbolic interactionism is. Any social construct depends on the society being studied, and different societies will have different social constructs. So there's a limitation of social constructionism. Um, because it can't account for macro-level phenomena. Then there's micro, and then there's rational choice exchange theory. Um, it's one more micro to meso-level approach, and it focuses on individual decision making. So according to rational choice theorists, humans will make rational choices to further their own self-interests, and people weigh the costs and benefits, rank their options, and then act. Um, according to rational choice theorists, people evaluate whether there is reciprocity and balance in social relationships. People stay in relationships because they get something from exchange, and due to this view of relationships as exchanges of social value, it's sometimes called social exchange theory or just exchange theory. And it's acceptable for some micro and meso level phenomena, but it doesn't really explain charitable, illogical, unselfish, or altruistic behavior. So then we have conflict theory, which is a macro, it's a macro theory um, in the writings. It has its origins in the writings of Karl Marx. Capitalism is an economic system in which individuals and corporations rather than governments own and control what Marx called the means of production, meaning property, machinery, factories, or any other means of creating a saleable good or service. So private ownership leads to a small, wealthy, capitalist bourgeoisie class who control the means of production, and the rest of society is delegated to the lower workers or proletariat class that perform manual labor. So because the capitalist class owns the means of production, this class has power, and the disparity in power leads to conflict, and the conflict in this society is a physical one, and eventually the worker class rises up and overthrows them. So modern conflict theory expanded this to examine any conflict between powerful and powerless. 
And in any such conflict, the people in power attempt to preserve their power by shaping the structure of society itself, and they use their influence to dictate the laws, customs, cultural norms. Um, but if people in lower status recognize this pattern, this power differential, and see that the others have common dissatisfaction, then they can organize to form interest groups where they can use tools to protest or vote to enact change and equalize power. So, yeah. Status quo is desirable in conflict theory, and for the powerless, change comes through disruption and revolution. Um, it's not really effective for explaining the choices of individuals in a society, but it's helpful for large-scale changes and societal phenomena. Also, this really focuses only on social stress and disharmony, so it's less effective to explain social cohesion, cooperation, and altruism. There's also a structural functionalism, which is the inverse of conflict theory. It's founded by Emily Durkheim, or Emile Durkheim. Um, Durkheim compares society to an organism and proposed that each group in society has a role to play in the overall health and operation of society. The roles might be different in the same way that different organs or different cells have different functions within an organism. Uh, Durkheim called each group's, each social group's role its function, the contribution made by that group to the system. According to structural functionist theory, the different groups of society work together in an unconscious, almost automatic way toward maintenance of equilibrium. So there's Functions can be manifest or latent, so manifest is an intended consequence of the actions of the group of society, and when an organization, organization or institution has unintended but beneficial consequences, these are called latent functions. And then while both are beneficial, there's also something called dysfunctions, which are negative consequences of the existence of an institution, organization, or interaction. And then because this focuses on social cohesion and equilibrium, this approach is not well suited for explaining social change and... Um, it doesn't really explain how individuals interact within a group, but it explains how other groups interact with other groups, so we need more better suited micro-level interaction models. And then finally we have feminist theory. So this is critiquing the interaction of institutional power structures that disadvantage women in society. Um, from a conflict theory perspective, it describes female society as uh, patriarchal, patriarchal with men seeking to preserve their power over women through societal privilege and institutional discrimination. Um, but there are imbalances of power in developed countries, even even with like lessening of inequality and gender stratification as a result of feminist activism. Um, there is the glass ceiling, which is processes that limit the progress of women to the highest job positions because of invisible social barriers to promotion. So men who do not seek to climb the job ladder still can have invisible social forces pushing, pushing them up, called the glass escalator. So we can move on to social institutions. They're well-established social structures that dictate certain patterns of behavior and relationships and are accepted as a fundamental part of culture. They regulate the behavior of individuals in core areas of society. Um, institutions exist at the nasal level of sociological analysis because they're a part of society, but they're not dependent upon the individuals involved. Um, the exact nature of each institution differs from culture to culture, and they depend upon and support one another. The definition of family differs greatly from culture to culture. There can be different patterns of kinship, um, since terms for different family members are not conserved across time and culture. And family is the most basic of institutions. It's most closely tied to the individual and helps to meet many of those basic needs. And many life rituals and rites of passage occur in the context of family. So there can have stages of coupling, um, changes of relationship between spouses through time or parenting, which is a complex topic which involves the socialization of children. Um, there's various forms of families. 
single parent families, families that cohabitate with other family members beyond the nuclear family, um, and families with marital disobedience or divorce. So, yeah, divorce rates rose significantly in the second half of the 20th century, but have started to drop over the last two decades. Spousal abuse or domestic abuse or domestic violence is seen across all social classes and genders and can include not only physical violence, but sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and financial abuse. Victims of domestic violence find it challenging to leave the abusive relationship. Elder abuse is seen when there is neglect of an older rel relative, and there is also physical, psychological, and financial abuse, with the caretaker being most commonly the source. There is child abuse, which commonly manifests as neglect although physical, sexual, and psychological abuse are also common. And then, as a physician, you are a mandated reporter, which means that you are legally required to report suspected cases of elder or child abuse, but not domestic abuse. Then there's education, which is an institution that aims to provide a population with a set of skills that will be useful to them or to society. Education is formal in most societies, and it takes place in a setting designated for educational purposes only, using prescribed curriculum, teaches skills, facts, mental processes, but it has a social latent function as well, which provides opportunities for peer socialization and reinforcing social stratification within individual schools and through comparisons. So it includes not only information and cognitive skills, but also hidden curriculum of transmitting social norms, attitudes, and beliefs to students. Um, teacher expectancy refers to the idea that teachers tend to get what they expect from students, so anyone who places high demands and those who believe that they can rise to the challenge will see more students succeed. Education is susceptible to inequalities, so lower SES is associated with decreased accessibility and quality of education. So low funding deprioritization of education and poor historical performance can make it challenging for them to improve education. And as an institution, religion is a pattern of social activities organized around a set of practices and beliefs to a seek to address the meaning of existence. Religiousity refers to how religious considers him or how religious one considers him or himself to be, including strength of religious beliefs, engagement of religious practices, and attitudes about religion itself. Um, there's denomination or sects that may share certain beliefs and practices, but not others. Denomination is part of a church, which is a term that can refer to both a large universal religious group and to the building in which the congregation of such a group meets. Um, sect is a religious group that has chosen to break off from the parent religion, so like the Amish from Christianity. It can also take on extreme philosophies, which transforms them into a cult. Um, religion, um, society secularizes or moves away from the world dominated by religion toward rationality and scientific thinking. And for certain groups, there is maintenance of strict adherence to religious code or fundamentalism, and that predominates. Um, spirituality and religion are linked because they both seek to understand the meaning of existence and to identify what is sacred. Um, government and economy are also systematic arrangements of political and capital relationships, activities, and social structures that affect rulemaking, representation of the individual in society, rights and privileges, division of labor, and production of goods and services, so they impact all other institutions to some extent. Um, they can be viewed from a group level and individual level. Um, a democracy allows every 
citizen, a political voice, usually through electing representatives to office, which is a representative democracy, and then there's monarchies, which has a royal ruler, um, but their powers might be limited by the presence of a constitution, a parliamentary system, or some other legislative body. Dictatorship is where a single person holds power and includes mechanisms to quell threats to this power. A theocracy is a system where power is held by religious leaders, and they're based around a charismatic authority, which is a leader with a compelling personality. Um, there's capitalist economies, which focus on free market trade and laissez-faire policies, where success or failure in business is primarily driven by consumerism, with little intervention from central governing bodies. In capitalism, private owner or corporation maintains and profits from the success of the business and encourages division of labor, where specific components of a larger task are separated and assigned to skilled and trained individuals, which promote specialization and efficiency. And then there's socialist economies, which treats large industries as collective shared businesses and compensation is provided based on the work contribution of each individual in the system. So profit is attributed equally to the workforce. And then lastly, I think we have the institutions of healthcare and medicine. Um, they are aimed at maintaining and improving the health status of the individual family, community, and society as a whole. Um, healthcare has some goals including increased access to healthcare, decreased costs, prevention of disease before it occurs, association of patients with a primary care physician or patient-centered medical home, increased education for the public with public health outreach, decreased paternalism or the doctor knows best mentality, reduced economic conflicts of interest for physicians, life course approach to health, so maintaining and considering a comprehensive view of the patient's history beyond the immediate presenting systems, and those are all on American healthcare. Um, there has been a sick rule, so an ill patient is not responsible for their illness and is exempt from normal social rules. That has been um, a shift in the role of the patient, um, but also patients have the obligation to want to become well and to seek out competent help. So patients are now expected to take more ownership of their health through diet, exercise, and seeking help if what's needed, and so on. Um, there's also medicalized entities. Um, so while some entities formally defined as diseases are now considered a normal part of the human condition, like homosexuality and transgenderism, um, these entities are now defined and treated as medical conditions. So hoarding disorder, binge eating disorder. Um, then there's the illness experience, which refers to the ways in which people rather than doctors define and adjust to changes in their health. So people can experience disease without illness. Um, so if someone lives a full and productive life with a condition like HIV. Um, there's also social epidemiology, which is a study of health and its determinants within a society. Social epidemiology is specifically the study of the effects of institutions, social structures, and relationships on health. So they look at racial and economic inequality, or government safety net legislation on health and access to health care. So then there's some more medical ethics. So physicians should adhere, adhere to four key tenets. Um, beneficence, the physician has a responsibility to act in the patient's best interest. Non-maleficence, do no harm. The physician has a responsibility to avoid treatments or interventions in which the potential for harm outweighs the potential for benefit. Respect for patient autonomy, the patient has a, the physician has a responsibility to respect patient decisions and choices about their own health care. Unless it's like significant psychiatric illness with decision-making capacity, interference, children, or public health threats. Um, patients have the right to refuse life-saving therapy, and then there's justice, where the physician has a responsibility to treat similar patients with similar care and distribute healthcare resources fairly. Um, yeah, there's a table about social institutions that I don't think I'm going to go over because it's pretty in-depth. Um, so then we go into culture. How much do we have?
what we might have to split this episode after culture. Um, okay, so culture is defined as something that is encompassing the entire lifestyle for a given group. It binds our nation states, political institutions, marketplaces, religions, and ideologies. Um, there's two different categories. Material culture, which is the physical items one associates with a given group, like artwork, emblems, clothing, jewelry, food, building tools. And then artifacts are material items that make, possess, and value. Um, there's symbolic culture or non-material culture, which focuses on the ideas that represent a group of people, um, encoded in mottos, songs, catchphrases, or simply themes that are pervasive, like free enterprise, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which are examples of American symbolic culture. Um, and there is the culture lag. So symbolic culture is slower to change than material culture. Um, the expansion of devices and technology in contemporary times are prototypical examples of culture lag, whereas American culture will prize individuality and privacy, the development of smartphones and social media, push toward more community-oriented and less private world. Language is the most highly developed and complex symbol system used by most cultures, so it's wrote, written, spoken, or signed, and regulated according to grammar and syntax, and the lets us share our ideas, thoughts, experiences, discoveries, fears, plans, and desires with others. Um, then we have values, which are what a person deems important in life, which detects one's ethical principles and standards of behaviors. There's a belief, which is something that an individual expects to be truth. Um, every culture has its own beliefs and value systems. This will be important. Um, then there's cultural barriers, where a cultural difference impedes interaction with others. Norms are societal rules that define the boundaries of acceptable behavior. Um, Ritual is a formalized ceremony that usually involves specific material objects, symbolism, and additional mandates on acceptable behavior. Um, they have order and routine. And then evolution may have selected for the development of culture because culture uses a way of passing down information from generation to generation. So the transmission of information through culture helps teach future generations how to create tools, hunt, domesticate animals, grow crops creates a sense of loyalty, allegiance, which helps um, explain altruistic behavior, and then it creates a sense of they versus us versus them, which helps in the dispersion of populations across the globe in different environmental niches. And then culture can also influence evolution as well. Um, yeah, I think I'll stop here because demographics is pretty intense. Um, and then I'll finish off with concept summary.